The reading tonight is from Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22, to chapter 4, verse 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. A prayer as we start. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. We've been having quite an extended study on what discipleship means. And tonight we come to an area that is absolutely crucial. If we fail here, we fail comprehensively. It's the area of our work. Work is where we spend most of our day. And so the workplace is the most important part of our Christian ministry. I wonder if you see um, tomorrow morning's job as part of your ministry for Jesus Christ. People often talk in church circles about uh, entering full-time ministry when they mean getting ordained. But the New Testament knows, knows no difference between those that we call clergy and those that we call laymen. Uh, it's a tremendous anachronism in New Testament times. All of us are limbs in Christ's body. We've all got different responsibilities to fulfill. And he calls all of us to serve the Lord and to be his representatives, whatever our job may be, from Monday through Saturday, just as much as Sunday. So tomorrow, you may have a, a really horrible boss at work. You may have a teacher at school who is a pain in the butt. You may be an employer who has a lazy employee and you don't really know quite how to handle it. How can you carry your Sunday attitudes into Monday? There is one key principle and this passage tells us what it is. Just Five words, five monosyllables. Do it for the boss. That is the modern translation of verse 23. It, whatever you do, it's done for the Lord. Do it for the boss. You know how uh, a football team sometimes um, pulls out all the stops if their respected manager is in hospital 
or, or perhaps in prison. Um, it happened in Liverpool not so long ago. Um, the former of those two things, not the latter. Um, and they say, let's do it for the boss. Back in the Middle Ages, um, there was a great quest. And it was the quest for what they called the philosopher's stone. A stone that would turn base metal to gold. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could turn base metal, like a 1p piece, into um, a pound coin? We'd all be rich overnight, and that would do something to um, beat up the uh, credit crunch. Um, well, of course, they failed. They never found the Philosopher's Stone. But actually, Paul did find the Philosopher's Stone. And he offers it to us here in verse 23. Whatever your work, do it for the Lord. That changes drudgery into joy. I once met a Chinese pastor who had been imprisoned under Mao Zedong uh, because he would not compromise his loyalty to the boss, to Jesus. Uh, a long time later, he was released. And he went back to be pastor of his church, and the church became bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, he was asked how he evangelized, what sort of special technique he had to spread the gospel. And he said, no problem. Uh, they just come to me. And it turned out that what had happened was this. When he was in jail, he was put in the dreariest of repetitive jobs. And as he worked, he sang, sang to the Lord. The guards got absolutely hopping mad with this. And so he was sent to an enormous place where all the sewage came. And the drains, I'm sorry about this on a Sunday night, but it's true. The drains got blocked up with his stuff. So they wanted some guy in the middle to stir the sewage. And he was given that worst of all jobs. And he was delighted. Because he could sing praises to the Lord in the middle of this sewage farm and nobody dared get near enough to stop him. <laughs> he did it for the boss. And that is how his unspoken witness was so winsome in that jail. And it meant that people lined up afterwards to ask what the secret was. Nearer home, um, I led a mission some little time ago in Birmingham. And uh, one of the meetings that we did was a reception for over 30 schoolmasters. They came, not because I was speaking, they'd never heard of me. They came because of the attractive life at work of a Christian teacher, their colleague. It had made them curious. And when he invited them, they came. He did his teaching for the boss. And it showed. And although he said very little about it, people noticed. And it made them hungry to be like that. And so when an invitation came that seemed to give a key to what he was about, then they responded enthusiastically. It was a remarkable meeting. But we may say, look, 
Why should I approach my daily work in this way? After all, I come here on Sunday nights, but why should I carry this into Sundays? Why should I do it for the, uh, to Mondays? Why should I do it for the boss? Well, there's a very good reason. Indeed, the whole plan of this little letter to Colossae is built on the very good reason. If you study this letter, you'll see that the first two chapters are all about what God has done for us. And the remainder of the little letter is in response what we want to do for the Lord. In the first part of that letter, Paul is blown away by who Jesus is. He is the image of the God we cannot see. Everything in heaven and in earth was created. That's who he's talking about. And this mighty Lord Jesus, he says, made peace between God and us by the blood of his cross. You'll find it all in chapter 1, verse 20. He reconciled us to him when we were a bunch of rebels. And we read that through Christ, God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's chapter 1, verse 13. Indeed, when he gets to chapter 3, verse 1, that's a sort of lynch when he turns from what God has done to what we're to do. When he gets to 3, 1, he says, you have been raised with Christ, with his resurrection life. The old you has died with Jesus on the cross and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's why you should do it for the boss. Not because of any legalistic rule book, but out of love for Jesus. He swapped us over across the border from death country to life country. He's raised us to play in a totally different league with Christ. In the power of his risen life. So we really can begin to do our ordinary job for the boss. All the imperatives from chapter 3 onwards. It says loads of things to do. They're all based on the indicatives of chapters 1 and 2. On what God has done for us. He has rescued us. He has raised us up to live with Christ out of gratitude then, not out of legalism. We want to do it for the boss. Work is a massive subject and Paul doesn't give us by any means exhaustive advice about it here. It's all very short and to the point. But Christians can take away five short areas from these few verses to think about and to apply whatever our work may be. Here's the first one, relationships at works. He starts in verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, do it for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that the Lord will give you the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. Slaves were everywhere in the ancient world. 
Many of them were kindly treated, but most of them were not. They were treated like pieces of furniture. And um, the ancient philosophers said that a slave is just a piece of furniture. He's not a person at all. So why doesn't Paul attack slavery? Because he knows that this little fledgling Christian movement would self-destruct if he did. Everyone remembered Spartacus, who in 70 BC led a slave's revolt and beat five Roman armies before being overwhelmed and killed. And the Romans never forgot this. It got deeply into their consciousness and it made them very nervous about slaves. No, Paul did something much better than fruitlessly denouncing slavery. In this passage, he encourages slaves to do it for the boss. Knowing two wonderful things. The first is that they've been set free by Christ. He alludes to it in verse 11 and he speaks of it more fully in the letters to Corinth. And secondly, because they will receive a great reward from the Lord. You didn't get any reward from your master when you were a slave. You just did it. You didn't get thanked for it. You just did it. That was, that was par for the course. But you do it for the Lord Jesus and you know that he will reward you for it. And in the companion letter that he writes with Colossians, and he sends by the same messenger to a man called Philemon, a rich landowner just outside Colossae. He urges Philemon to take back his runaway slave Onesimus. Because in the humor of God, this man landed up in the same prison as Paul, who was writing the letters here to Colossae and Philemon. And you didn't last long if you were chained up next to Paul. You tended to get converted. And he did. And although it broke him up, Paul sent this guy back to Philemon. But normally, when runaway slaves got back, they were crucified. And so he wrote this beautiful little letter to Philemon, a covering letter uh, to take this chap back. And he says, receive him no longer as a slave but as a brother beloved in Christ. And in doing that, he put high explosive beneath the structure of slavery, acting to please the boss. And in due course, it blew up and it smashed the institution of slavery. We know all about Wilberforce and what happened there. But back to Colossians 3. If slaves... In those days, or employees in our day, seek to obey their earthly employers, whether they're nice or whether they're so-and-sos, but they do it out of reverence for the Lord. And if masters, or employers as we'd call them, remember that they have a master in heaven, they're not autonomous, they have somebody who is going to assess the way they've behaved. When you have those two things, both of them seeking to do it for the boss. Then you'll find that relationships work out pretty well at work. Relationships at work. Here's the second thing, attitudes at work. You are not primarily working for your masters, says Paul in verse, 30, verse 23, but for the Lord in your daily work. 
That means you are freed from men-pleasing, which is a particularly nasty form of behavior. Namely, that you work like smoke while the boss is, is watching, and as soon as he goes, you put your feet up and do the minimum and watch the clock and go early if you possibly can. If you're doing it for the boss, you are set free from men-pleasing. But wholeheartedly you work as a love gift to the Lord. And not to the first century slave owner or the 21st century impersonal corporation. In the depths of our being, we know that we were not made to be the property of someone else. No, we can give the allegiance of our souls only to the Lord. We can do our work as Christ would have done it, or we try to, and we can see that it is done for Christ, and he will reward it. That's the attitude. Do it for the boss. He comes on next to prayer at work. You see it in verse 2 of chapter 4. Devote yourself to prayer. Keep alert at it with thanksgiving. Pray for us that God will open a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I'm in prison. Prayer at work. As a matter of fact, you could divide verses 2 to 6 into two commands, really, two clear calls. One, speak to God about the people in your workplace. And two, speak to people in your workplace about God. That's how it breaks up. Let's just take the prayer thing for a moment. Speak to God about the people in your workplace. I wonder if you do that. I wonder if you play, pray for colleagues at school uh, or at college or at work. Uh, in the original here, the language is very strong about prayer. Keep awake at it. Keep on at it. I find that a rebuke to me because uh, my prayer life sometimes would not bear inspection. And it certainly hasn't got this passion and intensity about it. I wonder if there would be a chance of you this week um, finding another Christian at work, or maybe even two, if there are two, and meeting to pray, perhaps in the lunch break, or um, before work starts, or after it ends, to pray by name for some other people in the school, or in the staff room, or in the office. And to do that occasionally. I believe we'd see a real difference if we did that. And let's not forget the thank yous. I often feel we're like ungrateful children. We come to God with our list of prayers. And we're not very good at saying thank you. Paul says here, keep alert in your prayer with thanksgiving. Prayer at work. And then outreach at work. Paul covets prayer for his own ministry. In prison, if you please. He prays that a door would be open, not for him to get out of prison, but for him to spill the beans while he's in prison and tell others about the Lord who allows him to be there. He longs to be bold and clear as he knows he should. If Paul needed prayer to be bold in witness, I'm pretty sure I do. I'm pretty sure that you do too. 
And that's why prayer and the outreach stuff are so closely linked in these verses. Only as we are often in prayer will we be able to spot the real opportunities. I've been watching a bit this afternoon that rugby match yesterday between England um, and the Australians. And uh, most of it doesn't bear um, uh, repeating. But on both sides, actually, there were moments when suddenly somebody sidestepped and saw half an opening and was through. And that's the sort of thing that Paul has in mind here. He says, snapping up the opportunities. It's like a woman down at the market. Woo! There is a bargain. I'm going to buy that one up. Exagradzomenoi. Wonderful market word. Snapping up the bargains in the market. Getting that half break and getting through. And we'll only see that half break. We'll only spot the opportunity in the market if we're close to the Lord in prayer. Remember what that old cobbler had written above his shoe shop. Workshop below, residence above. And if we go into our work like that tomorrow, workshop below, but uh, every now and again nipping up the stairs to that residence above, I believe we'll be better at spotting the opportunities so that we don't mess things up at work and they think, oh goodness me, this is another of the God Squad disaster people. But that when we speak, it'll be when they are ready to hear. If we have that attitude, I believe that from time to time we will find opportunities to reach out from um, the opportunities that come our way. And here's the final thing, um, language at work. Paul's postscript at the end of this, as a matter of fact, Um, Verse 6 is really the end of the letter. Part of it is um, love to so-and-so and and Tychicus will tell you how how things are with us. The real letter ends at verse 6. And this is how it ends. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer anyone. Very wise postscript. Because our language can so easily let us down. Swearing using the name of God or Jesus inappropriately, lies, deceit, sharp retorts, gossip, all too easily we fall into this. When I first came to Christ, my language was so foul I couldn't stop it. I was completely under control of it. And I prayed a prayer, set a watch, O Lord, upon my mouth, keep the door of my lips comes in the psalms it's not a bad prayer to pray if you know that uh, like me your lips let you down and you've only got to let you down two or three times at work and it doesn't matter what you say for the lord um, they're not going to hear anymore so paul ends this paragraph um, with this encouragement to make jesus lord of our preach of our speech gracious speech speech that adds a nice flavor to the conversation like salt does to a meal and speech that is careful in how we answer other people particularly outsiders he says we need to seek God's wisdom and grace to answer with words that will awaken thirst and appetite 
for spiritual things in other people. So as we face Monday, the Lord who saved us wants to touch our relationships at work, our attitudes, our prayer for colleagues, our efforts at outreach, and our words. Let's do it for the boss. Let's pray. Lord, we see that those five words really are the philosopher's stone that turn base metal into gold. And we pray that this week, whatever our work may be, we may do it for the boss who has done everything for us. Amen.